Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. It's the reason Laszlo Polgar was able to produce not one, not two, but three of the world's top chess champions. He actually sought out, for people who don't know the story, he sought out a researcher to marry, not a love marriage, and he said, I'm going to prove that talent can be learned, that there is no inherent talent. Now, I don't know how he found a woman to agree <laughs> to have three children, which were essentially experiments. I mean, the, the, the ethics of it are questionable to us today. No. But uh, here's what happened. Um, his first daughter became one of the best chess prodigies in the world. His second daughter became the youngest grandmaster of all time. And his third daughter went on to win the world championships. So one after the other, after the other. Laszlo Polgar himself, not a particularly gifted chess player, nor was his wife. That makes a pretty compelling argument against this idea of, of inherent and natural talent. These girls were groomed every single day to play Yes, that was their life and that was their purpose. And, and for those who are thinking this was abuse and, and everything, and people have asked the daughters, you know, how do you feel about this? And they said, oh, we loved it. We love chess. It was our favorite thing in the world. Oftentimes our dad would come in and say, girls, you need to go to sleep. And then we would uh, turn on the flashlight and play chess with each other. You know, and, and one time he walked in and caught one of his daughters. I don't remember which one um, in the bathroom sitting on the ground with a chessboard on the toilet playing and she go and he goes darling you need to you need to to leave the chessboard alone and she goes but the chessboard won't leave me alone i mean these these young ladies were just obsessed and they loved chess so um i'm not going to say you know you could be the next elon musk cuz if you're old enough to listen to podcasts it, it's probably too late for you to completely change your your trajectory yeah no. um but I do think, you know, our brains are highly plastic. And I think that you can dramatically change your potential through learning. Because look, the difference between you and anyone else, be it Elon Musk, it really breaks down to habits and knowledge. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. AWeber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. 
From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Jonathan, Mm -hmm. welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me, Srini. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually found out about your work because somebody from your team wrote in and told me a bit about the work that you were doing at Superhuman Academy, all of which we will get into, um, just because I find this kind of work really fascinating and kind of essential to the future that we're headed towards. But rather than start with all of that, uh, I want to start asking, where in the world did you grow up and what impact did where you grew up end up having on your life and your career? Yeah, so I grew up in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area where uh, HBO shows take place now, but really where all the startup and high-tech magic happens. Um, And growing up, I think that had a huge impact on me. One, because all the rock stars in Silicon Valley are entrepreneurs. So the people that I looked up to on a big level, meaning the people that were in the local news, but also on a small level, my parents, my neighbor's parents, they were all entrepreneurs. So a lot of people ask me, you know, you started your first company so young. What was it? What made you decide to be an entrepreneur? And I always say, I I shouldn't get any credit for deciding to be an entrepreneur. I just thought that that's what people did when they wanted to earn an income. Mm -hmm. And my parents kind of, I think, did a really good job of um, making chores an optional thing. And it's like, well, if you're not going to do the chores, then go find another way to make the $7 to go buy whatever it is you want to buy. So growing up in Silicon Valley, uh, entrepreneurship was kind of more the default, I think, than this trailblazing, you know, doing something different and forget what everyone else is. It was just, it was the default. You know, my friends and I, I had numerous friends and we would all play at starting companies when we were young, young kids. I mean, I had a friend who converted his treehouse into his quote corporate headquarters, and we were five at the time. Wow. I don't know what clients he had, but that was just kind of what we did and what we thought. Um, so that had a really huge impact on me. Uh, and obviously being around tech, I've almost, until recently when I started doing more public speaking, I could confidently say that I'd never made a dollar that didn't in some way involve the internet. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, I've, done, I've had two job interviews in my life. One was Togo's, one was Jamba Juice. I didn't get either of the jobs. <laughs> okay, so I went home. Up. Yeah, I went home and I started a business which became a seven-figure Inc. 5000 uh, e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, and I don't think that would have, ha- I'm very lucky that I was born in Silicon Valley, that my parents were Silicon Valley-ites. And so I had a computer in my bedroom, not a TV. Yeah. Uh, we were probably among the first people in the country to have an internet connection. Definitely not the first people on the block because I grew up in the area where, where people were developing the internet. But, uh, you know, we had the internet in 1994 or 95 in our house, and that made a really big difference uh, in my trajectory. How old were you at that time? Uh, in 1994, I would have been seven years old. Okay. 
Um, you and I have about a 10-year age gap. So one of the things I always wonder, particularly with people like you who grew up around parents like yours, is what were the conversations at your dinner table in your house like about careers beyond what you told me about chores? Like, Did they encourage any particular career paths? Did they discourage you ever from becoming an entrepreneur because they were, uh, you have siblings and you know, did they get different career advice and did they turn out different? Mm. Yeah, so I'm an only child. So it was a one and done kind of situation. Uh, growing up, it was very, very clear to me, there was never any option around higher education. And this was before, uh, you know, avoiding college became the trendy thing that entrepreneurs did. It was, you go to school, you get a degree, you get a master's degree. I mean, my dad told me from a very young age, you're going to go to Stanford MBA. And I kind of thought that I wanted to. I mean, if, if a parent says it enough times, you want to. But also, I, I loved business. I showed an aptitude for business. Business was the first thing that I really was good at. It was the first thing I discovered. Like, hey, I'm not a complete idiot, even though I'm failing in school, even though I don't have a lot of friends. Like, I can do this entrepreneurship thing. So I don't think it you know, was my dad bullying me into it. But that was the conversation. Uh, and from a very young age, you know, my parents made it clear to me that I was destined to run businesses. Now, my parents had, their careers had been at companies like Intel, Xerox, Sun in the early days, right? When it was 10 people. My mom was employee number 16 at Xerox and employee number 127 at uh, Sun, if you can imagine. Or maybe it was the other way around. I wasn't there. (laughs) Uh, And my dad was at Intel in the early, early days. So to them, the people who ran businesses were all Stanford MBAs. It was just, they saw that I was inclined towards entrepreneurship and business. And that was the best business school in the world where all the people who'd started the companies that they worked at, people who'd become billionaires, that's just where they went. I think today, you know, 20 years later, 30 years later, <laughs> that, that's not true anymore. It's not as true anymore. But I think it was sound advice uh, back then. And I did go on and I did get an MBA and I pretty rarely use it. But with <laughs> regards to the, the conversations uh, around the dining table, that, that was it. And I also want to add, you know, I think my parents did a really good job not criticizing or shooting down ideas because I always had crazy ideas and they were some of them pretty dumb ideas. Um, and some of them were pretty good ones, but my parents, I think never poked holes in my logic. They allowed me to do things and try things. When I was 12, I started a web design agency. When I was 15, I started a a mobile DJing for parties, you know, kind of like a music production kind of thing. And then by the time I was 16, I started my e-commerce company. And, you know, my parents looked out for me and they'd say things like, are you sure you want to invest this much? And I want to meet this person before you go and buy some, you know, $5,000 worth of products you want to sell on the internet. I want to go meet this person. But they never told me no. They never told me, why do you think you can do that? They never told me, why don't you just go do what other kids are doing and flip burgers? Um, you know, they, they said, Oh, what are you doing in there? Oh, I'm learning how to write HTML. Okay, cool. Dinner in an hour, (laughs) you know, uh, and, and encourage me in that way. So there's something that I, uh, feel that we kind of don't talk about nearly enough. And it's something that, uh, you know, I, I only, this is fresh in my mind because I was re-listening to a conversation with an old mentor, uh, that we had here on the podcast. And, you know, he said on our sort of new agey self-help driven world where we kind of sell this message that anybody can do anything and anybody can become anybody. We really don't acknowledge the role that talent and intelligence um, play in people's accomplishments. You know, he said that, you know, you don't want to sell the story that Elon Musk was born to be Elon Musk and that um, most of us are probably not going to become that way. And I know this because, you know, I've interviewed his ex-wife, Justine. Now, the other part of this that I think is interesting is the role that privilege plays. Um, yes. in the ability to do the kinds of things that people like you and not just people like you, and, and this is by no means a criticism, but people like anybody who ends up appearing here on the show, um, the role that privilege plays in, in all of this. 
you know, having grown up in the Valley, having seen this massive transfer of wealth over probably the course of your life, uh, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think about the role that privilege plays in all of this? Because I mean, an only child growing up in Silicon Valley with parents of entrepreneurs, that's a pretty substantial leg up over the average person. Oh yeah. White, heterosexual, male, plus all those things. Yeah. And I don't deny that. See, I believe, and I, I know this because I know my business is learning in memory, right? I know that every human mind has, I don't want to say infinite potential because there, there's, you know, there's only certain things you can do with your mind. You can't learn telepathy, but, uh, when you're born, there is, there is so much potential, but I also have a degree in sociology from one of the most liberal schools on the planet. And therefore I can tell you that that means almost nothing, <laughs> you know, you, you hardware wise, unless you, you have some learning disability, which by the way, I do, <laughs> you know, that it doesn't make a difference if you don't have access to education, if you don't have resources, if you're not well fed, if, if you know, you're growing up in a home with violence, unfortunately, those things matter a whole lot more. Now, that isn't to say that you can't go out and be a Tony Robbins, right? Someone who did grow up in poverty, someone who was a victim of abuse. By the way, you mentioned Oprah before. Uh, same thing, yeah. right? victim of abuse, rape, violence, it, all these horrible things you can overcome, but you are playing life in hard mode and mm -hmm. you're starting so much further. So I definitely honor that. Um, I'm very lucky. I won the, uh, you know, the parents lottery in that regard, being born where I was born, when I was born to the people that I was born with the resources that, that they were able to invest in raising me. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, one thing that I think about a lot is like, Okay, so like, does that mean that everyone else should just give up and, and not strive to be more, do more, get more? Because, you know, even the most successful people, we have things working against us, right? So in my book, I talk all about the learning disabilities that I had, how I struggled with suicidal depression for years, despite all that, right? How my, I have a history of depression and suicide in my family. So everyone's got their thing. Yeah. And therefore, you know, if you're out there thinking, well, okay, so many of the people on Unmistakable have all these advantages. Why should I try? Of course you should try yeah, because that's, that's what life is about, is about improving yourself. And, you know, I, like yourself, I have had the opportunity to interview hundreds of the world's top performers, thought leaders, athletes, CEOs world record holder. I mean, you name it. And everybody has their scars, man. Let me tell you, you don't go into the line of work that you and I are in right. unless you've got, you know, I always tell people, you don't start a podcast called Superhuman Academy because you were Mr. Popular in high school. Yeah. Um, and so we all have our scars. We all have our pain. It's, it's really, how do you use that? And, and by the way, I, I do this thing every year uh, on my birthday I reflect back on the last year of my life. And I think because I've observed that if you're willing to listen, that the universe gives you lessons in a pretty frequent kind of cadence and there are themes. And sometimes it's six months and sometimes it's a year. But if you really pay attention, like the universe wants you to learn a specific lesson at a specific time. So I have, I'm, I'm about to be 33. I already have 34 uh, what I call secrets of adulthood. I borrowed this term from Gretchen Rubin, uh, but wrote my own <laughs> secrets of adulthood. I, I love that idea of like, here are the things that no one told you growing up. And one of my secrets of adulthood is that every single person on this planet has been psychologically damaged by their parents. Now, how could I say that? Right? I had the most amazing parents in the planet. Uh, well, that's, I actually watched a, a documentary that doco on Tony Robbins recently. And there was a woman whose psychological damage was that her father was such a perfect father that no other man could ever live up to it. And she'd been from relationship to relationship. Her psychological damage was that her parents did not psychologically damage her enough to relate to other human beings. Can you imagine? <laughs> so it's like, 
the, the continuation of that sentence is every you know every single person psychologically damaged by this by their parents how much and in which way is just the luck of the draw right so i was psychologically damaged quote unquote by my parents to never be satisfied mm. with anything i'm i'm never content i'm always building i can't sit still you know that that is who i am and that yeah. came from growing up in the household that i grew up in which is hilarious to be having this conversation because I'm at my parents' house for all of December and they're here in the background. Uh, you know, I, I think that to me, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Like I always jokingly say that uh, the spiritual journey of adulthood is just fixing all the things that you fucked up in your childhood. Uh, totally. Or and, that were fucked up for you. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I, I remember probably one of my favorite comments about parenting was from Philip McKernan who said, no matter what you do, you're going to fuck your kids up. And yeah, is one of those things I think, and I think that every one of us, especially when you do this kind of work, you kind of think to yourself, well, guess what? If I had been exposed to this stuff, then I'm not going to make those same mistakes. Like I'm going to raise my kids with perfect subconscious programming. And then I, I realize there's so many variables that are out of your control when it comes to that. Like you're going to deal with a human being who is unpredictable, irrational, and has opinions of their own, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is, is just, you know, offspring in general. Yeah. Well, I have a friend whose yeah. whose father is hardcore personal development uh, and always has been. And so she came into the world like reading all these books, you know, Good to Great and Seven Habits and Dale. I mean, there isn't a book that she hasn't read. And can you believe it? It's really hard for her to relate to other people, particularly other women, yeah. because she doesn't have the damage that they do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it. If you don't screw them up enough, you screw them up. And if you do, you, you know. There's a, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of uh, dichotomy. I am totally stealing the secrets of adulthood things. I do a birthday post every year where I say, you know, I write down a lesson for every year. So I'm going to have to steal that from you. <laughs> oh, do it. Yeah, Google it. I've actually published mine. I'm okay. totally open source about them. And you're welcome to, to borrow some of them. Uh, I really enjoy it. I think it's like, it's so valuable to go back. Like right now, I know... I know what it's going to be. My birthday's in March, but uh, it's going to be that uh, the best way in life to solve a problem is a who, not a how. Mm. And that's taken from Dan Sullivan. They're yeah. not, by the way, all my you know wisdom oh, sitting in a, yeah. in a meditative post. They are things that the universe has taught me, and sometimes someone else has articulated them so beautifully. And I love that idea of Dan Sullivan, like howing your way to solve a problem Sometimes it's fun if that's your area of expertise, if that's what you love. But yeah. most of the time, the best way to solve a problem is a who. Mm -hmm. It's relying on others. It's collaboration with others. Yeah. So I, I want to, you know, just for a little bit more time, talk about this idea of privilege and, and kind of talent and, and all the things that we've been talking about. One of the th other things that came up in that conversation I had with my old mentor was the, the difference between probability and possibility, right? And he said, so often we get so caught up in possibility that we don't consider the probability. Like you and I, you and I could literally take Steph Curry's masterclass, and I, this is ridiculous a, a <laughs> example because it's the only one that came to my mind. And you know, I, I know this because my friend Matt and I were joking about it, where we were looking at masterclass and we we're both like, "Oh, what are the classes you could take?" I was like, "Hey, I wonder if we took Steph Curry's masterclass, like, could we become better shooters?" He's like, "Yeah, probably. We could be like the best adult basketball players in Boulder." He said, "But then we should ask for a refund when we don't make it to the NBA." Um, right. So the thing is that you and I, you know, being the types of people that we are complete, you know, sort of people who are driven by trying to fix things constantly and learn from the best in the world. You and I could both take Steph Curry's masterclass. We could hit a gym for the rest of this year. And there's no way in hell either of us is going to the NBA. Yeah, we're, we're probably never going to dunk. It's funny because I always use that as an example. Like, uh, you know, my books are all about how you can learn anything and do anything. And you, you really can unlock your infinite ability to learn. And I always put the caveat, I'm like, unless what you want to learn is dunk a basketball, because that's physics. Yeah. You know, well, everything yeah. else though. Hey, it's Trini. I hope you're liking this episode of The Unmistakable Creative. Did you know that every Sunday, our community manager, Melina, sends out 10 key takeaways from episodes like this one? All you have to do to receive it is sign up for our newsletter. Just visit unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter, and you'll get them delivered right to your inbox. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash newsletter. Well, and that's the thing, right? I think that this is why I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, when we look at an Elon or a Zuckerberg, you know, it's funny because even Justine, when I asked her about Elon, she said, I don't want to get all deterministic, but she's like, this isn't something to be like, this is not something you can learn. 
or to be Michael Phelps or to be LeBron James. Like you were born that way and you're going to become that way as a result. Uh, now, can you overcome limitations? Yeah, no question about it. But, you know, I, I kind of wonder what you have to say. Other than the dunk thing, is there anything else you'd say about that? Because, you know, even from an, like, we look at physical skills and say, okay, yeah, probably never going to be LeBron James. That's a given. But what about intellectual skills where you, your probability of achieving that is low? Yeah, well, so here's the thing, right? I think, first off, being the next Elon Musk isn't the point. Being the absolute best Srivi that you can possibly be like you are destined to be something, but you can be a, a low expression of that, or you can be the highest possible of that, right? And you know, I, I am the person that I was before. I'm just, in my opinion, and and I, I think in this regard, my opinion is the only opinion that matters. <laughs> I'm just a lot better version of who I was before when I was a suicidal 13 year old. Mm-hmm. You know, same personality just a lot more skills, a lot more knowledge, a lot better behavior. You know, I have knowledge that has created a transformation and, mm-hmm. and change the way that that expresses itself. So it's not about being the best in the world. I don't, I don't think it's interesting to be the best in the world at something. I think it's interesting to be well-rounded in many, many different fields um, and to be a Renaissance man or woman and to achieve the things that you've always wanted to achieve uh, and learn the things you've always wanted to learn. And also, there's no doubt that Elon Musk has a very special and unique brain. But coming back to the conversation we had before, part of why he has that special and unique brain is because Elon Musk didn't have friends growing up. I mean, he was bullied and he spent literally every single day under a tree reading Mm -hmm. while while other kids were playing, which made him not very popular because South Africa is a very uh, sports driven culture. Right. And so we can argue about his inherent talent and what he was born with or not, but ultimately and I'm here to tell you this as someone published a book about the brain and learning. The human brain is an adaptation machine. If you grow up in an environment, your brain will adapt to make you survive in that environment. I'm an entrepreneur. It's the reason so many famous musicians have children who are gifted musicians. It's the reason Laszlo Polgar was able to produce not one, not two, but three of the world's top chess champions. He actually sought out, for people who don't know the story, he sought out a researcher to marry, not a love marriage. And he said, I'm going to prove that talent can be learned, that there is no inherent talent. Now, I don't know how he found a woman to agree to have three children, which were <laughs> essentially experiments. I mean, the, 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 the ethics of it are questionable to us today. No. But uh, here's what happened. Um, his first daughter became one of the best chess prodigies in the world. His second daughter became the youngest grandmaster of all time. And his third daughter went on to win the world championships. So one after the other, after the other, Laszlo Polgar himself, not a particularly gifted chess player, nor was his wife. That makes a pretty compelling argument against this idea of of inherent and natural talent. These girls were groomed every single day to play chess. That was their life and that was their purpose. And and for those who are thinking this was abuse and and everything, and people have asked the daughters, you know, how do you feel about this? And they said, oh, we loved it. We love chess. It was our favorite thing in the world. Oftentimes, our dad would come in and say, girls, you need to go to sleep. And then we would... Uh, turn on the flashlight and play chess with each other, you know? And, and one time he walked in and caught one of his daughters. I don't remember which one um, in the bathroom, sitting on the ground with a chessboard on the toilet playing. And she go, and he goes, darling, you need to, you need to leave the chessboard alone. And she goes, but the chessboard won't leave me alone. I mean, these, these young ladies were just obsessed and they loved chess. So, um, I'm not going to say, you know, you could be the next Elon Musk because if you're old enough to listen to podcasts, it's probably too late for you to completely change your, your trajectory. Um, But I do think, you know, our brains are highly plastic and I think that you can dramatically change 
your potential through learning. Because look, the difference between you and anyone else, be it Elon Musk, it really breaks down to habits and knowledge. Yeah. Okay, I think that that really is is a perfect segue into your actual work. Uh, you know, you have this book, "The Only Skill That Matters." Uh, let's start with information overload because this is something that I have uh, really, really, particularly been passionate about and struggled with. Also, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that it's funny because I write a lot about attention. I created a course called Distraction Mastery, and I think the the funny thing is, I was like, "Yeah, I'm basically doing all this because this is a problem I've wrestled with my entire life." Uh, mm-hmm. So let's start with the information overload. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've had everybody from Cal Newport to near AL here. Um, so what is it? I mean, how do we navigate this mess that we've made? Uh, you know, and it seems to be to me that no matter how many tools we keep putting on it, we just keep adding band-aids to bullet wounds. Yeah, well, a big part of the issue, and I talk about this at length in the book, and it's not an issue. It's actually a wonderful, amazing thing. But the, for, for, centuries and centuries really millennia there were gatekeepers to creating content and so there wasn't all that much content but today anyone like yourself or me or anyone can publish books podcasts and so there's this explosion of information out there not just in books but in every possible medium you can imagine and overall that is a very good thing um we want democratization of knowledge for our society to function, but also for people to learn effectively. You know, gone are the days where if you didn't get the way that it was taught in the textbook, too bad, so sad. Today, there's a hundred different ways to learn any given subject, a thousand different ways. Uh, And that's a very good thing. The problem is we're not equipped with the skills to choose and then really immerse ourselves in the right materials and and confidently approach learning in a way that it sticks. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, then, I mean, obviously like this is, yeah, I think the core of your work, right. Is, you know, how do you sift through all of this? I, I mean, I think that's one thing, you know, we've built a, a, you know, listener community specifically that is not Facebook. That's, you know, a private social network. And what I've realized our community manager is doing is she's taking everything that I create and she's synthesizing it um, mm-hmm. into very digestible, actionable, you know, uh, concepts because, I realized I was like, you know, one of our, when we hired somebody to market, she said, you guys don't have a content problem. She was like, you have way too much content. She was like, people can't right. figure out where to start because you have so many interviews. Uh, 
And I, I realized that was like the, the primary, even me watching her go through this. I'm like, wow, I'm getting more out of my own work because of what she's doing with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, how do we deal with it? Like, how do you take all this information, synthesize it, make it actionable? Uh, and what is the only skill that matters? Well, to me, the only skill that matters is learning. And, and the reason I say that is, is really, you're right. It was a beautiful segue from before. I believe that if you can learn anything, then you can do anything. Again, asterisk, dunking the basketball. But I believe that if you can learn effectively, that is the gateway skill to any other skill that you want. So if I today decided, you know what, this entrepreneurship thing is not for me and I want to be an incredible pianist, the skill that I am going to need to make that transition in my career and in my life is the skill of learning effectively. And it's not about learning the piano. It's about being able to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And this happens in a very big way where people are today changing careers more than any generation ever before us and changing industries. But it also happens in a very small way. The little things that we want to learn, the skills the within our job, within our personal life, our hobbies. Um, to me, and, and I've... The reason I called the book The Only Skill That Matters is because my life experience has proven to me going from being you know, a young 13-year-old who couldn't learn anything effectively to being able to learn really quite effectively and, and very fast, and I consider myself to be an incredibly fast learner or I wouldn't write books about it, um, it's made all the difference, not just in my professional life where I've been able to start businesses in industries I knew nothing about or succeed in areas of business that I knew nothing about, but also in my personal life. I had all different kinds of health maladies and I was able to learn my way out of them. I had interpersonal issues, confidence issues. I even uh, was single for nine years until I decided, hey, what if I treated this like a learning challenge? And I decided to learn the behaviors and attitudes and mindsets of a person who is in a healthy, happy relationship. And I'm now very happily married. Um, So time and time again, every issue that I've been faced with, eventually, when I treat it like a learning challenge, I'm able to overcome it. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, I think that that's that's phenomenal. Uh, I, I actually, I'm curious, what are the the habits of somebody who's happy, healthy, um, married, and in a healthy, healthy relationship? Oh yeah. So uh, I went through a whole process, and I recommend one of my kind of like key touch points for this learning process was I read a book called I read a lot of books, but the one that really made the biggest difference for me was this book called Calling in the One by Catherine Woodward Thomas. Yep, I read it's, that. Um, Oh, it's phenomenal. So it's seven weeks, an activity every day. So 49 activities. And you really learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about your opinion of yourself, commitments that you didn't know you're carrying around. So to answer your question, I think, uh, first off, it's someone who's in a healthy, happy relationship. And again, I, you know, I'm a sample size of one. So take this with a grain of salt, but they're well grounded and they're at peace with past relationships and past trauma. They, are deriving their confidence not from another human being, so they are not uh, codependent, but are able to generate joy to bring into the relationship. They're a source of joy, not a uh, joy bottom feeder, if you will. Mm -hmm. Open communication, big, big one. And I always like to joke with people, I say, open communication is like an onion. You know, even when everyone's crying and you think that there couldn't possibly be any more, there's a whole layer below that. And I, to get into this relationship, really pushed the boundaries of how comfortably and openly I could share. Um, And there are a lot of a lot of other things. I mean, not uh, not. I'm translating from Hebrew because my relationship happens in Hebrew, but uh, not keeping a bill, I guess, is how I would say it. Like not taking a tally of who did what, but just giving without any expectation of reciprocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in, in in German, which my mom always translates German sayings to me, they would say like writing the bill on ice. So just not thinking about who did what for the other person last time. Um, 
and and many many more by the way uh understanding that the other person is a human being and letting go there's mm-hmm. definitely an element of like letting go of that perfect person Mm-hmm. Joel Weldon, who's a friend of mine at National Hall of uh, Fame speaker, always throws in this joke in a lot of his talks. He says, remember, no one in the world is perfect except for the person your spouse could have married. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's true, right? So like, let go of that person, that, that, that mythical perfect person, and also be um, deliberate, right? So I realized pretty pretty late in the game that I was going to have to make compromises. But then once I realized like, okay, I'm not going to get this person who is everything that I want. What are the things I am willing to compromise and compromise deliberately on those things and not other things? Because in past relationships, I compromised on things like, ah, she gets along with my friends and family or, ah, she treats me well. You don't want to compromise on those things. Yeah. You might want to compromise on, uh, I'm not really a fan of, of her particular hair color, but eh, (laughs) all right. Uh, well let's, let's get into tactical stuff here. One of the things that you say is Mm -hmm. learn like a caveman. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So if you go back, uh, millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years for really the span of all of, uh, our hominid existence, you discover that you have incredible, vast amounts of learning and memory. I mean, if you look at Paleolithic peoples, if you look today at the very, very, very few lasting hunter-gatherers around, you discover that they have tremendous amounts of knowledge. They know the seasons and the movements of the stars and all the species of animals and when they migrate and where the berries are and when to eat the berries and which berries are poisonous. They have so much knowledge, but they're illiterate. They can't read and write. They're not learning from books. They're learning from very visual, tactile, and kinesthetic experiences, right? So to learn like a caveman, it really is to tap into our natural ability for visual memory. People always love to say, gosh, I wish I had a photographic memory. And I always say, good news, you do. You just don't know how to use it yet. So the first step really to learning like a caveman or tapping into this incredible wealth of memory and learning capability that you have is to learn how to visualize and create visual mnemonics. Everything you want to remember has to become a picture. And believe it or not, this is the exact same way that people win world memory championships, set world records. It all starts with visualization. Mm -hmm. It's funny you say that because I mean I literally have a mind map of your book staring me in the oh, face. Oh, awesome! I I um it was you know I did this for a talk recently because I just come back from India. I didn't have enough time to rehearse as many times as I wanted to, and I I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to create a mind map of the talk. Like here are the key, here are the core themes. Like this is what's in each slide, and then I created branches off of each slide to have three points, and I memorized that talk. Within, like, I had no problem remembering any of it because I would just look at the mind map every time I, like, I, rather than having to go through an hour talk in front of no audience, I would look through the mind map and I would kind of go through it in my head and I was like, oh, I know how to do this. It, it was kind so of. So you have a mind map that's kind of a memory palace. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I read, I just read uh, Josh Forer's book, uh, Moonwalking. Awesome. And the, the memory palace thing really struck me because I had just moved to, to Boulder and I was meeting a lot of new people, particularly people who worked in restaurants. And I started like literally just doing that unconsciously. I was like, oh, this girl's name is Allison. She's from Austin. This guy's name is Nate. He works at nighttime. Yeah, it was one by one. It was like, oh, this guy's name is Matt. He actually grew up in Michigan. Um, Isn't that cool? Yeah, it was mind boggling. I was like, this is amazing. I I was like, what else could I do? Uh, Let's actually give something, people something, you know, really concrete. Like, let's say people wanted to remember parts of the conversation that you and I are having. Um, yeah. How would you guide them to take exactly what you talked about and to start creating pictures from this conversation? Yeah. So what I might want to do is, um, let's say, you know, we talked about Elon Musk and him sitting under trees. Let's create a visualization of that. I have a visualization of that back from when the way I remembered that was from the visualizations that I created when I read 
the actually Vance biography of Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. But let's say we were going to create a picture of that, and then they could put it into a memory palace if they wanted to. I mean, if they, I call the memory palace the mnemonic nuclear option because it's kind of like using it for this, for memorizing five key ideas from this talk. It's kind of like uh, going to your neighborhood bully and uh, and approaching him with a ICBM. It's it's overkill, but it'll do the job. Um, <laughs> so they they could put that symbol, you know, in the far right corner of the room they're in or of the car they're in, and just anchor it to something. So if the far right corner for you is, uh, you know, the dashboard on the passenger side of your car, great, put that visualization there. If it is uh, you're sitting in the kitchen, you know, far right corner. Uh, the next thing, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, Laszlo Polgar and his three daughters. You might want to create a visualization. Now, you'll probably want to remember Polgar. Um, what does that sound like to you? What does that sound like to me? Uh, I, it, I mean, it would remind me of an Eastern European country, I think. Uh, yeah. So what you probably want to do is break it down uh, into its sound. So, for example, there is a... Uh, uh, men's clothing store here called Polgat. So that's mm -hmm. what came up to me, but other people will have different, um, different associations and that's great. You want to use things that are parts of your existing memory, right? So uh, maybe Polgar sounds like polygamy to you. Sure. Use that, right? And, and create a visualization. Now the visualizations, the better visualizations are more ridiculous, more violent, more sexual. I'm not talking about blood and guts, like don't, don't envision mass shootings. But when I say violent, like everyone is going to remember if I say, Hey, using a memory palace is like carrying an ICBM to the school bully. And I want you to picture this little kid, you know, the type of kid that gets bullied and he has this big ballistic missile and he's going up to the school bully and, and, you know, the school bully has this like big look on his face. That's kind of a violent and ridiculous and crazy and bizarre image, right? Highly memorable. Mm -hmm. And you can put that into the next corner in the room, maybe the far left corner. And you would just go around the room and you would, you would create these visualizations. Uh, you know, Polgar could be polygamy. Come up with whatever visualization you want for that. <laughs> we'll keep it G-rated, and you would essentially create the, this one anchor marker or visualization for everything that you wanted to remember. You can do this for your grocery list. You can do this for all the different people that you meet throughout the day. You can do this for Bible verses, poems, speeches, fifty random numbers, a hundred random numbers. Anything that you want to remember, you can do this. And there are systems that I talk about in the book to convert anything into these visualizations. Mm. Wow. One of my favorite ways to spread the message of our mission here at The Unmistakable Creative is through speaking. In the last few years, I've delivered keynotes and workshops to professional associations, large companies like Citibank and Meredith Corp, and even small ones on how creativity can lead to better working environments, fuel innovation, and increase the bottom line. So if you think I'd be a fit for your upcoming event and want to learn more, visit speaking.unmistakablecreative.com and get in touch. Again, that's speaking.unmistakablecreative.com. Okay, so we've talked about memory. Um, let's talk about this idea of cross-pollination. Yeah. What is yeah, that? Yeah, so really, really cool. So the idea is this, right? In our minds, we often think that you know, learning Spanish is learning Spanish and learning guitar is learning guitar and learning uh, sales techniques in school is, is, is whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is that all of human knowledge is connected and learning one thing can, can move you forward and progress you in so many other different things. I'll give you an example. When I was learning Olympic weightlifting, right, I was learning all this different stuff about uh, kinesiology and movement paths and, and how to move weight around in an efficient way. And it was great. I love Olympic weightlifting. I think it is so much fun. But I kind of never envisioned that those skills would help me anywhere else besides Olympic weightlifting, or maybe if I wanted to judge a CrossFit competition. Fast forward four years later, and I get into, can you tell I have ADD? I get into 
acro yoga, which if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's, it's basically a form of partner acrobatics where usually uh, the, the guy or base is laying on their back and they're like flipping and twisting and spinning the person above them. And it's really cool. I highly recommend you Google it and, and check it out. So I'm really into this and I just want to get as good as I can, as fast as I can. And I discover that the exact same skills that I had learned were, were serving me here as well, that there was significant carryover from the things that I'd learned in Olympic weightlifting into this world. I'll give you another example. I had learned physics, right? We've all learned physics, hopefully in high school. And I went out on my first private golf lesson. And instead of treating golf as golf and saying, this is in no way related to anything I've ever done. I've never played golf. I've never done any of it. I decided to leverage my existing knowledge of physics. So instead of telling the teacher, you know, can you model it for me? And I'll just do what you do. I started asking questions based on my understanding. So I started saying things like, okay, where are you creating portion? Or where is your rotational access? And so I was understanding it through a framework of something that I already knew about. And I was able to compress my learning timeline. So this idea of cross-pollination is taking lessons and ideas and understanding, and it's a mindset adjustment, treating it not as separate, because it's not separate. Because you know, if you're a, a general in the military, you can use a lot of that knowledge in a game of chess. If you are a public speaker, you can use a lot of that knowledge in podcasting and on and on and on and on. And so it's being deliberate about that and not being afraid to say, okay, I don't know anything about golf, but I do know about kinesiology and I do know about how the muscles in the body work. And, and maybe I can use that knowledge and leverage that to compress my timelines here. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'd shared the story in my most recent book where I said, you know, I think my seventh grade band director had a profound impact on my ability to actually, um, you know, stick with something that I had no natural ability at. And that translated mm -hmm. to my writing life 30 years later. Like I understood the power of practice because of that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to give people, that is a, a powerful takeaway, right? That Never ever approach learning as this is something completely new that I know nothing about because it, all of human knowledge is interconnected. And on the cognitive level, the neuroscience level, when you approach a subject, let's say I'm learning Norwegian, right? Not related to really any language that I know. It's technically a Germanic language, so it's somehow loosely related to English but I don't know anything about Norwegian or I'm learning Mandarin. The, the novice learner would come in and say, I don't know anything about it. But the minute you do that, what you're signaling to the hippocampus, the part of the brain involved in consolidating memories is this is unrelated to anything I've ever learned before. And therefore it's probably not very important. So one of the master skills that we do, remember I talked about incorporating visualizations that you already know. You want to create linkages between what you're learning and what you already know. Hmm. We call this dual encoding. So if I learn something new, I want to connect it and figure out how it is interconnected to existing knowledge. What that does is it creates more connections in my brain, more synapses between these new neurons. And therefore, that kind of convinces the hippocampus, okay, wait, this is new, but it's it's connected to a lot of stuff that we already know, we better hold on to it. Hmm. Wow. Uh, so you go into these ideas of checking yourself, paying it forward, and you kind of bring us full circle with, with high performance habits. Talk to me about the idea of checking yourself and paying it forward. I mean, paying it forward seems obvious, but I'm wondering if I'm you know uh, missing something that uh, isn't so obvious here. Yeah. Well, the idea of checking yourself, uh, studies have shown time and time again that one of the most effective things you can do to improve your learning is testing. It, you'd think for, for all the kind of bad-mouthing I do about the way the education system is set up, I would be against testing. But I am not. Actually, testing is incredibly effective. I wish that there were more testing, as in I wish that once you take the final exam, you'd be tested next year as well. It's silly to me that you know, you pass geometry, you pass the final exam, you leave the classroom, you're never tested on geometry again. Because testing is dramatically 
dramatically linked to people's ability to remember things and actualize their learning. And it, it makes sense, right? We know that the adult brain wants to learn for practical purposes. It needs to know that it's going to use the knowledge. What better way to prove to the brain that it is going to use the knowledge than periodically testing it? Now, that doesn't mean that test needs to be this, this horrible, stressful thing that, good Lord, like kids take their own lives over standardized tests. That's a horrible thing. But engineering testing into your learning practice is a phenomenal thing. Now, I take the approach in the book, you know, and I've coached hundreds of thousands of people through our online courses. I know that if I tell you, go ahead and make a test for yourself, design a test, and then take the test, you're not going to do it. <laughs> and so my approach to self-testing is to engineer situations that test you. Meaning, if you are learning a language, go out to the grocery store where they only speak that language, you know, go to, go to Chinatown or go to the flea market where everyone speaks Spanish and test yourself by putting yourself in a real world environment. Uh, if you're learning a musical instrument, test yourself by going to a jam session, you know, or performing on stage. And then the next step beyond that is really to teach others, which is what I call paying it forward. Because when you teach another, you're basically enlisting them to test your knowledge for free because they will ask questions and they will not understand things and they will challenge you to explain it different ways. And that's one of the best ways. I mean, that's two birds with one stone. One, you're doing something awesome for another human being when you share your knowledge and your time with them. But two, they're testing your knowledge. Wow. Um, all right. So let's talk about this idea of high performance habits. I mean, I think that, you know, we've had everybody from James Clear to, you know, every other person who talks about this stuff here. Um, is it just a, a sort of combination of all the things that we've talked about or is there something else there? Well, so I admittedly don't go too, too much into high performance habits in the book because it's a book about learning, but I felt remiss. My editor and I both felt remiss not talking a little bit about what I call kind of the big three. Um, all the techniques in the world are not going to help you if you're not getting enough sleep, not asleep. And, and, you know, I'm sure your audience has heard these things a hundred thousand times. They bear repeating. If you're not getting enough high quality sleep, you're not getting enough REM at night. You're not sleeping in a dark environment. You're not waking up rested your learning will be impaired. If your nutrition is garbage, your learning will be severely impaired. If you're not exercising, your body's not creating the hormones it needs to stimulate your mind. Your, your cardiovascular system is not healthy enough to be pumping enough oxygen to your brain. Those are the big three. And recently, I, I've, I've really realized that it's actually the big four. And the fourth one is, do you have social bonds, support systems? Do you have love in your life so that your brain is producing all those happy chemicals because uh, if not, it, it's all for not, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that that makes a, a really sort of interesting way to bring us full circle. Uh, you made a lot of money at a young age. Uh, you haven't had to, it seems like, worry about it for a good amount of your life. How how has your perspective on money and wealth changed with age and with success? That's a great question. And I love to think about this question because I, I'm obsessed with figuring out ways to leverage money to actually improve my life and the lives of those around me. I think money in and of itself has no inherent worth. I think whoever, someone on my podcast told, told me this and I loved it. Uh, he who dies with the most money in the bank account loses, hmm. right? Because what's the joy in bequeathing it to some charity after you die? Give it away while you're alive. Use it while you're alive you know, leverage it. Um, money is an incredible tool. It is the most powerful tool for, for getting human beings to collaborate and for solving problems. There are very, very few problems that couldn't be solved with money if applied well, mm -hmm. because money is, is just, it's a tool for value. So uh, how has my thinking on money changed over the years? That's part of it. I, uh, I've been deeply influenced by Dan Sullivan and a lot of his ideas. Uh, we talked about the idea of a who, not a how. He also says, if you have enough money to solve a problem, you don't have the problem. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of times we suffer around these problems. For example, uh, let's take an easy example. A lot of people are going to be making New Year's resolutions in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm overweight and I'm not happy in my body and I don't feel good. Okay. Do you have 500 to $1,000 a month to hire a personal trainer and solve that problem for you? You have you know the money to hire a who, then you don't have the problem anymore. Let's solve that problem. So I think about that a lot, um, and I you know I'll be completely open. Like I have a disproportionate amount of money anxiety relative to the amount of money that I have, and I've I've worked with a coach and a counselor about this to figure out like why because I I wear thirty dollar Uniqlo pants and a, a ten dollar H and M T shirt. Like I'm not particularly materialistic. Um, and I've realized that for me, money is freedom. It is never being that kid who's bullied into a corner and not having options. Uh, for me, money is a tool to be able to do what I want, where I want, when I want, with who I want. And that's why it's very important to me. It's like oxygen to me. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean that it guides all my decisions, <laughs> of course. But it is, uh, I've only recently become comfortable admitting that, yeah, money is very important to me um, because of the the things I want to do for myself and for others, because of the impact I want to have, because of the life I want to live, because of the life I want my wife and kids to live. Um, So yeah, it's very important. And I'm always trying to reevaluate, again, how can I use the blessings that I have to actually make a difference? Again, not just for me, but also for others. But, you know, how can I make it worth it? Because this was something I talked with my wife a lot, you know, as we started dating and and I started kind of revealing my financial situation. And I take the approach that, like, if I don't use it in a meaningful way, whether to improve someone else's life or to improve my life, then what a waste that I sacrificed so many hours of my life and so much stress to actually make all this money. What a waste. Like I want something in return beyond just the number on my bank account balance. Like I want to know that I helped people. I want to know that my kids had an incredible upbringing with the best possible education. I want to know that I had more vacation time than I would have had if I had to worry about money. So uh, I really think deeply about that. I think a lot about that. It's an open conversation in our household of, you know, are we taking advantage? Are we being smart about it? Um, Because I think you either err on one side or the other, right? A lot of people err on the side of spending too much money and they get themselves into debt. I think uh, my wife and I err on the side of not spending enough on the things that could um, bring us happiness. And I love uh, this quote from Joe Polish, who obviously, you know, in his 20s became a multimillionaire and is is very successful and leads a group for people who spend $100,000 a year just to be in his mastermind. Um, And Joe says, People who tell you money can't buy happiness haven't given enough of it away. Hmm. And I believe that is true. Wow. Um, Well, this has been amazing. I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews, the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Honestly, in this day and age, and, and I know this sounds like a plug for my book, But what makes someone unmistakable is when they look you in the eye, they connect with you, and they remember who you are. I I, I always, people always tell me, you know, what should I apply these skills to, this learning and memory? And I think they think I'm going to come up with some, oh, learn Mandarin because that's the way the world is going, or learn programming because that's the best paying job out there today. But it's none of that and all of that. But that's not where I would start. The most important thing you could do for me if you enjoyed this podcast episode, is use the skill of memory to actually listen to people's names, listen to what people have to say, and remember. And next time you see them, use their names, smile at them, and tell them, I remember last time you told me your kid was sick. Did everything work out? That would make a huge difference. Amazing. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Uh, where can people? Oh man, it was my pleasure. It was so my pleasure. 
uh, about you, your work and everything that you're up to. Yeah, absolutely. So check me out at superhumanacademy.com. And if you want to check out a copy of the book, it's superhumanacademy.com slash book. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be. With AWeber's easy-to-use email marketing platform, you can stay connected with your audience, write new content faster, sell more, and grow your business, all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot com slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.